Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the pleasure of introducing you to David Roberts. So David, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. We're so, I'm so grateful David has a really perfect, solid name for me to say. <laughs> if you listen to the podcast, you know I stumble on that. So um, fun thing, David found me to come on the podcast, which always makes me super excited because I get to learn as much as you listeners do as we're um, talking with David. So David, why don't you start out a little bit by telling us um, what state in the Northwest you live in? Uh, well, I'm a resident of Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. I've lived here since 2014. I uh, moved here from Kansas, actually. Ah. Um, yeah, but I've bounced all over the United States. I've lived in New York and Arizona, New Mexico, California, Florida, Massachusetts, and now the Pacific Northwest. So, David, what part of Kansas are you originally from? Uh, I lived in Wichita. Wichita. Okay. So, so were you a Chiefs fan? <laughs> <laughs> actually, so uh, believe it or not, I, I actually grew up in New York. Ah, so, so you were a transplant from New York to Kansas. <laughs> right, yeah. My wife, though, she is from Wichita, and she is a yep. Chiefs fan. Yeah, go Chiefs. I was pretty excited. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, this is the way after Super Bowl. Everybody knows I'm a Seahawk fan, but <laughs> my second team of choice is Kansas City. I love my home, and we got to see him play, and our grandkids are in Missouri. So awesome. we're Yeah, so we're kind of, you know, on the Kansas City thing. So yeah. great. Okay, so you have made your way to the Northwest. That is so, right. Kind of, and everybody seems to find their way to the Northwest and they either love it and they stay, you know, or it's too rainy and dark and they take off. So, um, so get us on that journey. What, what brought you here? Kind of tell us a little bit about your background and how you got here. Yeah, well, actually the move was, um, precipitated by my wife. She's in the military. She's in the air force and, uh, she had an opportunity, uh, to transfer from her base, uh, McConnell air force base in Wichita to, uh, joint base Lewis McCord, uh, here in Tacoma. And, uh, once that started, um, I, I immediately started looking for a job for myself since I'm a civilian Mm -hmm. and, uh, I ended up getting a job at a small university in Seattle. Oh, okay. And um, then her paperwork went through and the rest is history. Awesome. Uh, I'm no longer with that university. Um, it's a long story. I don't really want to go into it. Uh, I totally I, get it. I'm in higher ed. Don't need to explain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then I got hired on uh, at Xerox, uh, oh. which had an office in Seattle, um, yeah. until a year after my employment. Uh, after they hired me, they closed the Seattle office and with it my job. Um, and, uh, that's when I discovered the plot for my book. Uh, oh, and, uh, so super cool. <laughs> in the period there were my, and yeah, I got the pink slip when my daughter was six year, uh, six weeks old. Oh. And, um, then I, uh, uh, as I'm collecting unemployment and trying to find a new job, I discover the plot of my book. <laughs> so. Okay. That, you know, so that like, I love that story. I know at the time you probably were like, what the heck am I going to do? Right. Yeah. And you're getting unemployment, even though Washington employment's rock and roll, it's pretty great here. So, but, but still you're probably devastated and you yeah. wrote through that and got the plot for your book. So I, I commend you. And I think that's amazing. I have found so many authors and even myself, it's hard for them to write through the struggling times. It's easier to write when you're feeling great, but when you're down and out, that's the hardest time to write. But I think that's when we get the best 
um, storylines and the best content is when you're down and out, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. And, and in a way it was, it was therapeutic, even though like I wasn't writing about the layoff and writing about the frustrations that I had because of the powerlessness that I felt, um, you know, because you, somebody, you know, in a, in a really expensive suit in New York city decided that my job didn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, so by, by finding this plot line and finding this story and doing the research on it, and it, it allowed me to focus and get that negative feeling, you know, somewhere else in my brain. I, so I didn't have to focus on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. And then you have the time to do it. You didn't have to fight the job thing, right? That's so super great. Yeah, every time the boss walks by, you just close the Microsoft Word document that you're yeah. working on or whatever. Yeah. 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 Anybody that knows about side hustling, they know what we're talking about when you're just yeah. like, trying to sneak around or, you know, or, or you're just exhausted, you know? Right. So, so very cool. Okay. So, um, Tell us um, a little bit, I always like to ask a couple stumper questions that maybe you weren't prepared for. One is, we're always told as authors, you probably know this because you listen to a few podcasts too, um, to read. We need to be good readers. So what is sitting on David's reading shelf right now? Uh, So right now I'm reading a book by uh, Connie Goulden called uh, Stormbird, which is the first book in his War of the Roses series. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually read him when I was in college. Uh, uh, It was called Conqueror, I think it was the first book of his Roman Empire series. And I read it, loved it. And then I kind of just forgot about him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, about a month ago, two months ago, give or take, I was at the library with my daughter and I'm looking for a book actually for my wife that she wanted to read. And then I found uh, this book. I'm like, oh my God, I have to, I, I remember this guy. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and that's what I'm reading now. It's like uh, finding an old friend, right? And you're like, yeah. oh, I forgot you had so much to say. <laughs> I love it. I like to read. uh, There's like two kinds of of books that I like to read. One is, uh, you know, books that I can read just to clear my head. Mm -hmm. And usually that's like, you know, a book about a a rock band I like Mm -hmm. or something like that or or an athlete I want to learn more about just to simply clear my head. And others is to teach me and and others are books to teach me how to be a better writer. Yeah, exactly. um, And a better storyteller. Yeah, and I that, have I have those Connie two Golden is like that. I have those two streams going too. So are you a one book reader or two book reader? Do you have to concentrate on just one thing at a time when you read? One um yeah, kinda. Um yeah, when it when it comes to pleasure reading, I'll read one book at a time, but I'll also have like other books for research mm-hmm. uh, that I that I'm reading as well uh, fairly closely. Yes, research books. I mean, that's like my thing. So um, just developing a whole new thing for my podcast listeners and you, you're hearing this. I think I mentioned it on another podcast, but I'm working on, I'm a librarian. Um, that's my that's my traditional training. And I found so many authors struggle with a research. And yeah. so I'm starting a whole service of helping authors with researching. Just got, um, got two people on there testing it now. So I'm kind of excited to see how that goes. And I also wrote an entire course on researching that I'm going to hopefully launch this year as well. Um, But I found that I collect books because of research. So I may not go to them right away, but I'll have like a whole stack of specific time period or um, books sitting around. And I'm like, I know I'm going to need that someday. So I'll stack it away for research. (laughs) My poor husband has to move them sometimes. He's like, really, do you need all these books? And I'm like, do you really need to ask that question? (laughs) (laughs) Of course I do. So, David, did you discover you were a writer early on in life? 
and the story, this story just came to you or did this, did you discover you're truly a, a writer when you're in this process of writing this book? Um, so this is a kind of difficult question to answer because uh, I, early in life, uh, I was diagnosed with a learning and reading disability. Mm-hmm. And I actually had to go to a special school uh, for students who are dyslexic and learning disabled. I'm just and, as well. So oh, get out of town. Oh, yeah. Struggled yeah. with it my whole life. <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really is. It really is. And so I didn't really um, learn how to read for pleasure mm-hmm. until I was like 16, 17, 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, the first book that I really read from cover to cover for fun on my own was a book about the rock band Iron Maiden. And. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> But it, hey, it's a book, and I it's read a book, it. Fuck, you read it. Oh, no, I it's love not it. to kill a mockingbird, but you know, okay. you're talking to a rock and roll girl, so yeah. we're fine on that. <laughs> yeah, and um, and and you know, before that, it would I would literally take like a year or two to read even like Stephen King, mm-hmm. and even then, yeah. I probably didn't even read it all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, reading was work. Reading was a chore, mm-hmm. and writing. Um, I did the concept of writing something other than like a research paper, uh, or a short story for, for a class. It was in the same vein. Like, why Mm -hmm. would I want to do this extra work? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, like all good dyslexics and learning disabled kids, I became a journalist. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not funny. (laughs) I'm drawn to that for some reason. (laughs) What can I say? And so I worked in TV news for a long time and Mm -hmm. for about six years and which is, uh, longer than the average TV reporter. The average Mm -hmm. life of a TV reporter is four years and I managed Mm -hmm. the politics. Um, and I was always looking for stories that were, um, you know, not just, I got assigned, you know, the car accidents and the murders a lot, but I was also really drawn to the person and the struggle type of stories. You know, I remember I I once found a story about a teacher getting ready for her first day, but it was also going to be her last day because this particular day was when she was training her long-term substitute because she was going into treatment for cancer. And uh, so telling stories like that to me were were a lot more fulfilling Mm -hmm. and reminded me why I became a journalist as opposed to, you know, trying to get the mayor to resign at the end of the half hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, Or, you know, your son just died. Can I please put you on television? Um, You know, those kinds of stories are why I'm not a journalist anymore. Yeah, exactly. Well, funny story. So you're, you're, you're bringing out some funny stuff that my listeners probably haven't heard yet. So I don't know if they have known or if I've mentioned that I I'm dyslexic, I'm, I'm severely dyslexic, but as you get older, you learn how to compensate and didn't start compensating until I was really in high school. And I, I started in a journalism class and for me, writing journalistic style was almost perfect because it was so short. Like you didn't have to elaborate. And, and of course, I had really good, strong teachers and I learned how to compensate. A lot of people won't believe this about me, but I didn't even like to talk to anybody. Um, I wouldn't talk on the phone. Um, up and I mean, I've been married for about 27 years. When I first married my husband, he would have to beg me to call people on the phone to pay okay. our bills. And I refused to do it because I also had a speech impediment. And I had to do a lot of work, a lot of acting work with actors to teach myself how to speak without this impediment coming out. 
And um, it wasn't until I finished all through college, I went through college as an adult student and mm-hmm. went through all acting classes and writing classes that I started to get confident um, in writing and talking in public and public speaking. And people are amazed when they hear that about me because they're like, yeah. you're so great at this. You sound great on, on the podcast and people that have seen me get up and talk are amazed. So thank you for sharing that about you because I also feel like it's important for us to share that um, those those things that can hold most people back, you can get through them and you can tell a beautiful story and you can um, come through and and become somebody that talks on a camera or on air. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about your writing process going to this book. But first we, we, before we do that, tell us the title of the book. Uh, So the name of the book is called the paper man. And this is, this book is inspired by true events. It's uh, about a soccer player named Matthias Schindler, who was uh, the greatest soccer player of his generation in the twenties and thirties. And the book uh, chronicles, it's my idea of the last days of his life and uh, the few months, the few weeks that happened after he died. And what happened was uh, Austria, his native country, Austria, was taken over by Germany in uh, 1938. And uh, a few months after that happened, and he was uh, very much anti-Nazi, um, and after the, uh, it's called the, the period there is called the Anschluss. And after that happened, uh, he went to bed one night and never woke up. And oh. to this day, uh, the cause of his death is questioned. Hmm. And um, what's really interesting is that, uh, so under Nazi law, if you die of suicide, you're not allowed to have a funeral. Oh, and I didn't know that. Yeah, and the original birth, uh, death certificate, I almost said birth certificate, the original <laughs> death certificate said cause of death, suicide. But then oh. that was changed to accidental. Oh, his, his death certificate was changed. Okay. Yeah. His death certificate was changed to accidental. And what happened was he, uh, some of his friends and teammates convinced the coroner to change the death certificate just so he could have a funeral. Oh, and even though uh, the vote, uh, I put that in quotations, was about 98% in favor of the Nazi takeover of Austria, um, it was, the, the Anschluss vote, the, the plebiscite vote, was pretty clear that it was not a clean and fair election. You know, if, mm-hmm. if that happened today, Jimmy Carter would be there to, you know, mm-hmm. check it out. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, uh, so they were really concerned about what would happen, and particularly the Whisper campaign, because the anti-Nazi movement in Austria started pretty quick. It, mm-hmm. You know, even though it really picked up steam once it became clear that the Nazis were going to lose World War II, it it was already brewing in 1938, and um, the. Uh, they knew what would happen to everyone if um, with this whisper campaign, with the rumor mill going, if he was not allowed to have a funeral. Yeah, exactly. Just think about what would have happened in California if the governor of California said Kobe Bryant cannot have a funeral. Yeah, it would be uh, uproar. (laughs) Or or if the prime minister of Canada said no funeral for Wayne Gretzky, if he were to die under mysterious circumstances too. Yeah. Very interesting. So, how did you discover the story? Because this is like one of those things I would think about when people are, you know, are writers and research, they research and they, you did, okay, first two full question. How did you yeah. discover the story? And then did you immediately know when you discovered it, it's a gem, I have to jump on this. <laughs> 
Yeah. So uh, the answer to your to your second question is yes. Yes. Because uh, <laughs> I I literally got goosebumps on the back of my neck and on my forearms and everywhere when I found out when I when I stumbled on this. Uh, so the way I came about this was uh, so I'm I'm a bit of a lifelong soccer fan. Mm-hmm. And I'm always curious about, you know, the the history of the game and and whatnot. And just one night um, I'm on YouTube and I type in history of soccer documentary. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sort of thinking I'm going to find something that I can like ignore kind of yeah, as I like browse yeah. for other stuff and just pick up, you know, oh, look at that goal or or whatever. And I come across this documentary that is talking about the relationship of soccer to governments. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And one of the uh, pieces in that documentary, along with, you know, how soccer has been used throughout history for propaganda, and um, there was even a, a, a period in, ni- in the 1960s where uh, Pele and his uh, soccer team, Santos, went on a tour of Africa, and they actually ended a civil war for a week. Oh, wonderful. Totally true. How absolutely uh, wonderful, though, that a sport could end it for a week. Because <laughs> soldiers on both sides of the conflict wanted yeah. to see him play. Yeah, exactly. That's so cool. <laughs> and one of the uh, 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 aspects of this documentary was about Matthias Schindelar. Hmm. And I just said, wait a minute, there's a story here. I got I to gotta learn more. And my idea in, in approaching this book is sort of in 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 the same vein as like Oliver Stone would approach one of his movies, you know, Mm -hmm. like I would hope that someone who watches Nixon would not come away from that movie saying, I know everything there is to know about Watergate. I would hope they would want to, you know, get, uh, pick up a a book or, or actually, um, so my book is, is fiction, but it is inspired by true events. That's so super cool. So, I mean, I got all these questions really around my mind. I'll see if I can grab one of them because um, so you you discovered this and then did you start your researching process first and were you taking notes? Is that how you started? And then when did you decide that you probably should go fiction with it? You know, I yeah. think, okay, we'll start there. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so the first idea, the, the the way I approached the process was first I had this outline of events. Mm-hmm. You know, he's this great soccer player. There's this um, there's this vote. He loses his nation, a nation that he represented in international competitions and the World Cup, and all of a sudden he loses his country. Mm-hmm. And then there he has his testimonial match, which was going to be the last time that Austria was going to be playing Germany. It's called the Anschluss match, mm-hmm. in which that match was supposed to end 0-0. And he said, screw it, I'm going to score a goal anyway. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and that, that match was uh, the second and last soccer game that Hitler ever saw in person. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and that, that's well documented, too. And then... Uh, he uh, he breaks the law by paying full price to a Jewish shopkeeper to buy his shop from him, because um. uh, the law said you can buy it from from a Jewish owner, but you can pay whatever you want for it, even if it's one cent. Oh, that's terrible! And, and he said, "No, I'm going to pay full price." He yeah. pays full price, and then he serves Jews at his shop, which is also breaking the law. Yeah. Yeah. Then he dies. And, uh, and then his, his friends rally to give him a funeral. So I have this, uh, I have this outline already set Mm -hmm. 
And I say, and so I'm looking at this outline, like, okay, now I just simply need to fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, that's when I uh, went to the library and I downloaded as many articles and uh, uh, everything that I could find about Matthias Schindelar. And the reason I decided to go fiction with it is because um, I kind of felt that this story needed uh, things that the primary documents were not offering. Yeah, exactly. The feelings and the emotions and mm-hmm. the thoughts. Mm-hmm. So my, in a way, I was thinking, you know, so if I was in this situation, how would I react? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, well, I'm not a professional athlete, so how would a professional athlete think? Exactly. And luckily, there's enough articles about, you know, baseball players who retire, football players who retire, and they talk about, you know, you basically go into mourning for the rest of your life because yeah. your career is ended at 32. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're still very young and you're not prepared for that transition, I would think, you know, yeah. so, so interesting. So, okay. Yeah, so- and oh, there was one more thing I wanted to add to. Sure. Um, there was a, a quote that I came across um, and it, and I want to say it was, um, Uh, by Noam Chomsky, but I might be wrong because I heard somebody else talking about it. And he said something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said something to the effect that people know more about their local sports team than they do about their local government. Mm -hmm. I think that's very true. (laughs) Yeah. And Bill Maher, who I heard this from, made it sound like, you know, we're, we need to look down our noses at the people who know about more about their local sports team than they do about their local governments. But I heard that and I think, no, that makes total sense mm-hmm. because your sports team does a better job of representing your community uh-huh. than yeah. your local government does. And, and we can relate to sports players and sports teams more than we can to politicians or politics. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. (laughs) So I took that and, and, and my excitement for the story and I ran with it. Awesome. Well, I love, I love having history, um, retold in fiction, especially history that has um, a hard time to fill in all the back pieces or accuracy. So because I'm a librarian, I love research to be completely accurate. So if you're going to write, if somebody's going to write a biography or, or something like that, I want to know that you got the information from firsthand accounts, you know, as close as you can. So, but I know that that's impossible for a lot of us, you know, and so I love having that. What you've done is taking a really amazing historical action and thing that happened in in history around a really tremendous time of craziness. And you could retell a story of somebody that's going to maybe cause people to go and say, I want to know more about this part of history. So very cool. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you had the book published. There was a manuscript, thought it was great. Then what did you do? Did you, did you decide immediately you were going to go a traditional route or are you traditional published and, and kind of walk us through that next process for you? Sure. So, um, as you know, uh, being a librarian, you can't do research in a week. Oh no. (laughs) Uh, Unless you're a college student, then you can do it the day the papers do. Yes. And Um, they usually Google and that's naughty. (laughs) Yeah. Or you just copy and paste Wikipedia. That's right. That's Uh, (laughs) even worse people. (laughs) So, um, in the in the period of time between uh, my layoff from Xerox and this book being published, I did get another job, mm-hmm. um, but it was basically a dead end job, mm-hmm. and it was pretty clear 
um, after being there for a, a little bit of a period of time that I was either they were going to reassign me, which would force me to quit. Mm-hmm. They would fire me or I would have to quit. It was just going to be one of those, one of those, one of those situations. Lesser of uh, three evils, whatever. <laughs> and uh, thankfully my, my wife uh, said, uh, you know what? I'm making enough money. Um, this is not what God put you on this earth to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead and quit. And this was in, um, this was in October when wow. we finally made this decision. And uh, NaNoWriMo was just around the corner. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, and basically it was like, you know what? I have this research that I've been doing that I'm for this book that I'm going to get around to writing one day. Uh, why not next week? I love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why, why not make next week one day? And uh, NaNoWriMo, you know, National Novel Writing Month, write a book in a month. Yeah, I did um, it. Yes, my first book I'm working is. on on editing was from last November NaNoWriMo that oh, I wrote wow. during that time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so um, as I, as I'm starting, um, you know, to, to collect my notes and to collect my outline and everything, I come across a post from uh, Blue Forge Press on, mm-hmm. it was either Twitter or Facebook. I can't remember which one, where I saw it. And Blue Forge Press is based in Kitsap County in Washington. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, hey, if you're doing uh, NaNoWriMo or you want to, uh, do us a favor and let us know. And every day, uh, as you're working on your book, shoot us a one-minute video. And we're going to put together a documentary uh, at some point about NaNoWriMo writers in the Northwest. And in return, uh, you'll get free editing. And if we like your book, we'll offer you a contract. Heck, I would have jumped on that last year. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I, th- and yeah, I basically had the same response when I said that. So basically I just need to shoot a video and the worst you say about my manuscript is no. Yeah, exactly. But a, you, <laughs> you're getting in front of someone, right? Plus mm-hmm. that, that weekly uh, video or daily video that you're doing is helping to solidify your story, you know? Yeah. So either way, you're getting this massive experience that a lot of authors don't have. So that's so super cool. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah. And so I just started plowing through the book, started writing. And uh, as I was writing it, um, I would send uh, little snippets to my mother and cause she's more of a reader than I am, uh, than I am now or ever was and probably ever will be. So it's like, you know, if, if you know, good writing, uh, you know, am I, am I making sense? (laughs) You know, is this any good? And, um, and one of the other good things though, is because, you know, I'm pretty soccer literate. She doesn't know the difference between a soccer ball and a football. Um, you know, God bless you, mom. I love you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) she knows a football, so we'll take that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, so there, there were a lot of moments where she would come back to me and be like, you know, I, I don't know what a five, three, four is or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. You, you don't know the soccer talk. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's good though. That's yeah. very good. She did that. Uh, but the other thing though, is uh, she's also well-versed about world war two. Oh. And um, so there were a lot of things that I was finding and things that she would know um, and help me, you know, flesh it out a little bit um, in that sense. But also I just want to uh, uh, correct myself there. This is not, this is about a soccer player and I do talk about a soccer game, but this is not a soccer book. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, but, but people that um, are soccer people like me will, you'll, they'll understand the story, but people right. that understand soccer history and soccer games will also be drawn to it. So, and, and also uh, people who know, uh, who are curious about World War II yeah. um, from an aspect, um, from another aspect other than the Jewish point of view. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's, uh, there, there's a lot of atrocity and a lot of horror about World War II that isn't, that, that uh, goes beyond just the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. And so, that's not to belittle it at all no. um, in any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, it literally touched all aspects of society, uh, the Nazis' influence. And I think that's important to highlight that, too, because it's like we can't put a lens on just one aspect of history. Right. And, and it's so true that that war, you know, had an impact on the Germans that lived there and all the other countries that, you know, Germany was involved with at the time. And I think it's really smart for us to go back and look at history because, you know, we, we don't want to repeat things, right? right? But we also have to understand multiple perspectives and points of yeah. view. So, yeah, and so, I also just want to stress too. I don't want to sound like I was belittling the the uh, Jewish experience of no. the Nazis at all, and I hope that I'm not. Um, uh, but you know, he uh, Schindler and many of his friends saw what was going on, mm-hmm. and uh, they were they were horrified by it. Yeah. There's no question about that, and I do talk about that in the book. And I think that's an awesome point to bring up too, because that's something I always wondered when I was little and I'd hear about um, the Holocaust and I was think, how did this just get past everybody? You know, how did, and, and now that I'm older and I realize, you know, how things go and how politics can be and stuff and how, how fear can be played into people's lives. Um, now I get that, but when I was younger, I didn't understand. And I always wondered if there were people that were German or, or other, you know, parts that would be like, why is this happening and what can we do? How can we step in? You know, we hear about other stories of it happening to people, but not people that it's happening around, you know, and I exactly. think that's an important story to tell. So, so great. So besides your mom, did you have, have any other, and your wife, wonderful yeah. wife, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, did you have any other like writing support group during this time besides maybe the NaNoWriMo online support group or something? Uh, no, I really didn't. Um, and part of that was I didn't want to have too many uh, cooks in in this kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really wanted it, or I really wanted to focus on 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 uh, my idea. Mm-hmm. And it what really wasn't until it was when it was done when um when my wife finally read it. Um, even though I would talk to her about it because yeah. like there would be um you know there there would be moments where like, I'm like, okay, I'm stuck on this one scene and here's what I'm thinking. And she would, she and I would just sort of talk about it. And then boom, I have it. I got to go. I got to go write something. Yeah. Um, but um, as far as like a writing community, not so much uh, mm-hmm. beyond like NaNoWriMo and, um, and some other people that I would know uh, who I'd send uh, chats to. But I will tell you one thing that I did uh, that um uh, surprised a lot of friends and and uh, some family members, which is once I got started, I deactivated all social media. Oh, my dream! <laughs> yeah, because uh, like I would I would sit down to to start writing, and then like I'd write the, and then I'd open up my browser and yes. Facebook, yes, or oh yeah. So the you first thing that I did was like I first just deleted the app. 
on my phone, but then I would still find a way to get there through the browser. And finally, I'm like, no, I'm just simply too distracted. I'm deactivating absolutely everything. That's awesome. And I, and I swear that is the reason why I was able to finish on November 30. That's so awesome. I dream of doing a social media sabbatical with all my heart and maybe someday I will. But since I started the podcast, so the <laughs> podcast generated from me asking a lot of questions about how you got published because I want to write a book. And, um, and so I started writing the book at the same time I did the podcast. And now the podcast has just exploded and I love my podcast life and I love my social media life around the podcast. I have just a really rich community. We have great people out there that are writers and community members and just all over the world. Um, but I would love to go on some sort of two weeks sabbatical, shut everything off and only take my laptop and even shut that down from any social media and just write. That would be like the ultimate dream for me. <laughs> so congratulations on that. That had to have been challenging. <laughs> well, what, what was awful though was going back on. Oh yeah, exactly. I, the only reason I went back on was for business reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. But it was... I, I think I was off for like six weeks. Yeah. yeah. Take, and it was w- awesome. I, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. It was like my, I got my brain back. I know. Isn't it <laughs> fascinating? It's fascinating. My husband's been what we call dark in the house for almost a year and a half. So all of you that are listening that know him, everything that's posted under him is me <laughs> because <laughs> I told him he can't go dark. He has friends from all over the world. He's a musician. And so we have, and then everyone's will be like, well, what's going on? with so-and-so and I'm like well if you were on Facebook you would know so I have to go on and find out for him um but so he loves it but I imagine that he's going to eventually come back on and he's got a bazillion notifications that he has to get you know get caught back up with yeah. and you know people have gotten married people die all this stuff I'm like you've got a lot of catching up to do <laughs> Yeah, so good. So share with us besides the story, what did you have one other inspiration um, that kind of drove you to get this done? I mean, you had some, you had the time that was given to you and the story came, but was there anything else that inspired you to keep moving with this? Well, you know, I think it was one of those things where I just felt so strong about this particular story. Uh Uh, about wanting to get it done. And then on top of that, in my research process, discovering uh, a a plot idea for what is going to become my next book. Oh, I was going to (laughs) ask. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, I've started that. Uh, It's, uh, I was hoping to have it done soon, but uh, um, it's not going to happen. Unfortunately, I might, it might need to wait until next NaNoWriMo. Yeah. I just kind of felt like it was going to be a personal challenge uh, mm-hmm. getting this done. And I felt like, you know, a lot of people, I, I think it's probably fair to say that just about everybody has a book in them. Mm-hmm. And I have this opportunity to, um, you know, get it in front of a, a publisher who uh, at, I didn't know at that time whether or not they were going to publish it. But I just was like, you know what? I have this opportunity laying at my feet. I'm not going to let it go to waste. Even if it stinks, I'm going to get it done. I love it. I say bravo. Great, 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 great. And you you step past some fears that a lot of us never can get past, right? I mean, just doing those little snippet videos um, would probably have terrified so many other soon-to-be published authors or authors and inspiring authors. So great job putting yourself out there. So you're working. So before we get started in the reading on this, 
Do you have any major plans? Do they have a book tour for you? Do you have some places that um, the listeners might be able to find you besides, you know, I'm, you have your website, social yeah. media, and this will be, you know, we're, we're talking around April here. So do you have anything um, coming up that they can come find you and meet you? Yeah, so um, they do have uh, signings uh, coming up at the Tacoma Mall and over at the Kitsap Mall, and I believe they're working on a mall in King County somewhere. Um, I'm not going to be able to make every single one of those signings, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately, um, I don't know uh, when the next one is, uh, after this podcast is coming out, uh, when I'm going to be able to be at the next one. Um, however, on my website, um, I do personalize the books. Uh, if you want to buy an autographed mm-hmm. copy, I'm more than happy to get that for you. Uh, or if you don't want to go that route, um, you're more than happy to order it off of Amazon. Um, and I actually prefer that route because my publisher sees the sale that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, as opposed to through my website. Um, even though I make more money when you order it uh, through my website and yeah, you buy it yeah. from me directly, I, I want my publisher to still know that people are, are getting the book. Exactly. <laughs> well, we'll make sure, David, that in show notes, your contact is there. They can find you on the website and they can also, you know, we'll make sure that everything's there for them. So, David, why don't we set you set the stage for reading? Share with us whatever backstory you want to share right before you do the reading, what you can. And then um, I'm going to go quiet because the dogs are barking uh-huh. again. It's okay. Uh, so uh, the section, the section that I chose um, in the story, Matthias, uh, the the onslaughts has already happened, and Matthias has uh, uh, just met with his head coach, um, and he's walking home, uh, and he bumps into the president of his professional club, which is called Austria Vienne. And uh, it was announced that uh, the celebratory Anschluss match was going to happen. The uh, Hitler had not yet signed the treaty, uh, where which joined Austria and Germany together. But um, the it was clear that it was it was going to happen. And Austria bumps into the president of Austria Vienne, which is uh, like I said, his professional club. And this is when he is formally convinced to play in the Anschluss match. Um, and uh, fun and exciting things are about to ensue. Let me just get a little bit more light. The Prater Stadion was where he played many games with the national team. It was the home stadium for Austria Vienne. On this chilly March afternoon, the Cathedral of Football was draped in the rays of the setting sun. Shadows cast by the pillars stretched over the cobblestone street. The door to the equipment office creaked open, carrying a leather satchel Dr. Michael Schwartz stepped through the doorway. He had served as president for Vienne since 1910 and bringing Sindelar to the club was one of his proudest achievements. As Michael left Vienne's office, he looked behind him over his shoulder. The team secretary, Egon Ulbrich, stood in front of the door to the office. Two Nazi officials stood behind him. He was trying to hold back his tears. The last thing he wanted to do was let the Nazis know he was weak. Michael walked out of the stadium, and as he closed the heavy wooden door behind him, a wave of nostalgia swept over him. As he gazed at the Vienne crest, the club's initials inside a purple circle, the letter A being the largest and in the middle, he thought about the days when the only worry he had was whether or not Cindy would be healthy enough to play on game day. But those days were now long gone. He was upset that what was happening 
was something that he saw coming. He left the letter he had just received that morning on his desk. As Egon handed him the letter, his hand shook with fear and sorrow. His voice cracked, and he struggled to say the words he was ordered to say. Air doctor, he said. His throat was filled with the urge to cry. I'm so sorry to have to say this, but I'm afraid your time here at Vienna is ended. With the seal of the party, an eagle atop a swastika in the letterhead, it said he had 12 hours to vacate the club. He was one of many Jewish soccer officials across Austria who received letters just like this one. He did not put up a fight as he read it. He listened stoically at the explanation from the officials. Germany now ruled Austria. All Jewish influence in all sporting activities was illegal. All sporting organizations, both professional and amateur, had to purge from its ranks all Jews. Players, administrators, secretaries, everyone. No one was exempt. Michael would not be compensated for his significant financial investments. His decades of devoted service and talent and hard work would be vacated and essentially ignored. He simply had to collect his personal belongings, sign over all ownership of the club to someone chosen by the party, and leave. Thank you, Egon, Michael responded, placing his hand on his shoulder. I understand. Please know this is not your fault. I am not angry with you. As he ran his fingertips over the metal bolts on the door, he found the handle and gently guided it closed. He slowly put the key into the hole, knowing he would never close up the office again, and he felt it latch. The sound of the lock taking struck his heart like a nail. He pursed his lips as he swallowed his fury from st to stop himself from crying. It was a hard fact for him to accept. Michael took a deep breath and forced himself to put one foot in front of the other and walk away from the stadium that he helped to build. As he walked away from the life he knew, he heard a familiar voice calling for him. Air doctor, Michael turned around and saw Matthias coming toward him. Cindy, so nice to see you. Michael quickly composed himself as Michael approached. Michael, sorry. Michael quickly composed himself as Matthias approached. They shook hands and smiled at each other. Where are you heading? Matthias asked. Home. I thought you were meeting with Air Restore. He and I just spoke. I'm glad I caught you. I was hoping to get your opinion on this matter. Michael nodded his head and smiled. He was not happy, but he did not want to burden his friend. Nonetheless, it was impossible to hide his thoughts. Is something the matter? Matthias asked. Vienna and I have parted ways. What? You've been with this club since the beginning. Yes, but things are different now. People like me have no place in organizations such as this one. People like you? Michael looked at Matthias. Matthias, you do know that I'm a Jew, don't you? Yes, but... Matthias stopped himself. He had just remembered the decree from the Third Reich for all sporting organizations to rid itself of all Jewish employees. Michael pursed his lips and lowered his head. He took a deep breath looked up and gazed at the stadium. His eyes drank in the sight in front of him. The brown stones, the arches, the flagpoles, each one on their own and together told the story encompassing most of his adult life. This palace was my home, Cindy. I will miss Saturdays. 
I will especially miss watching you play. I will miss watching you out there on the pitch. You made me believe that anything was possible. You made football look so simple. The way you triumphed with such ease. The way you elegantly humiliated your, your opponents. What I would give to see you do that once more. Matthias listened. He knew his now former team boss was not saying this to boost his own ego. He was saying this as a eulogy to better days. You brought us glory, Cindy. Matthias did not know what to say. For a moment, he struggled to find the willpower to say something, anything, but he ultimately decided to say nothing. He decided it would be best if he just listened. Do you know why soccer matters? Michael asked. Matthias gently shook his head. People can explain to anyone different offensive or defensive tactics, the different formations. They can explain the offside rule in such simple terms. They can make a list for anyone off the top of their head of statistics of how you did in the last match or the match before that. They have memorized how well you did against this team or that team. They know all these things because you, Cindy, you and your team, you represent them in a way their government never will. Do you know why? Michael tapped his fist into his own chest over and over. He looked into Matthias's eyes deeply and intently. Because you make people feel. Everyone who sees you play, they work all day. Work all day for what? To earn a paycheck, to pay someone else so they can sleep in a house. That's it. But they come here so they can live. You make them feel alive. You give them something to live for. The mayor, the chancellor, the Fuhrer. All they represent is what people read in the newspapers. They don't give anyone a reason to get out of bed in the morning. You do. Michael stretched out his arm and pointed at the stadium. Inside the walls of this building, there's a green rectangle. And inside that rectangle, the people see their true representatives. Michael took his hand and pressed his finger into Matthias's chest. You wear their team's crest over your heart, Matthias. You mean more to them than their individual lives. You represent to them a community of men bound by passion, bound by a shared sense of fraternity, breathing life into their souls. Michael let out a deep sigh through his nose and frowned. He nodded gently and softly patted Matthias's shoulder. I should be getting home, my friend. I hope we will see each other again. Michael started to walk away. Air doctor, Matthias said. Michael stopped and turned around and looked at the football star he helped create. They may say, you can never be part of this organization again, Matthias said. But you will always be a part of it. You will always be my friend. Michael smiled, tipped his hat before walking towards his home. Matthias had no idea what his friend and mentor would do next, but he prayed for his safety. He turned his head and looked at the stadium. He followed the lines created by the edges of the cement blocks up to the apex where the flagpoles were lining the perimeter. The tallest one, directly above the main entrance, used to fly the flag of Austria, but now it flew the flag of Nazi Germany as Matthias looked at the black swastika in the white circle surrounded by bright blood red, he knew 
he had to play. Bravo, David. Very well done. Yay. Thank you. And um, so I got one other question kind of related to the whole book and your creation and something you told me at the beginning before we went on record. Um, have you thought about doing this in an audio book? Because I know my husband listens to books because he drives, he doesn't read. And I think he would love this book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, that actually gives me some encouragement. Yes. Uh, uh, and, and in fact, my my publisher, um, Blue Forge Press, wants me to uh, do a reading of it and do a recording of it. Um, I haven't had the time really to record it yet, but also mm -hmm. I'm kind of nervous about doing it because I feel like I'm going to find about 17,000 things I want to change. I'm sure uh, you will. Yeah. <laughs> and that might be the difference of where an actor, a voice actor gets to read it and they don't get to do that where the actor, the author themselves, but um, you have a fabulous voice. Um, and I think that, um, so you guys didn't know this, but David and I were talking before we started recording. He has had a podcast before and he, cause he has equipment. So we're on video so I can see his equipment. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> and he also has um, voiceover acting. So I think you'd be brilliant, but I can see the challenge of reading your own work like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I do think I should, I, I should just go ahead and, and, and get it done knowing that uh, your husband will probably be. Oh, he would listen it. to it. Absolutely. <laughs> he would. Um, he's not a reader because he just does. I mean, he's just not a big reader, but he's an audiobook listener. And so I always curate all his books and get it to him so he can drive. He has about a 45 minute commute. Now he used to drive up to Seattle and back oh, wow. every day. So from where we live, which is, well, we're down South of y'all <laughs> from Tacoma even. And so, um, he'd listened to a lot of audiobooks. <laughs> so, uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, you know what? I'll tell him I'll get it done for just for him. Oh, awesome. He'd appreciate it. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. All righty. So you're working on another book. So um, before we close out the podcast, let's make a commitment that um, when that other book is done, we'll bring you back on, David, because it's be been a joy um, having you here. And so listeners, if you listen to this podcast, find David, let him know that you heard him on the podcast and also buy his book. And um, we look forward to having you back on the show for the next one. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I had a great time. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.